Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. It's good to see all of you here. Um, as you can, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, the screen has gotten bigger uh, since last week. And uh, Professional Advantage is actually updating the room. They've actually eliminated the screens on that side of the wall. And so we can't actually turn our chairs this way anymore. But uh, facing this side is good because we can fit more people. And that's always a good thing. Um, I came in here yesterday and there was like uh, ceiling panels on the floor. And like um, like gear everywhere. And I kind of wondered, are we going to be able to have church here? This, this, are we going to be able to have church tomorrow? And the guy assured me, don't worry, we'll have it taken care of. And uh, I actually really appreciate um their their kindness and their consideration of of this church, and uh, just to give you a little bit of a background, there's really um, two Adventists that work in this whole company here in Melbourne, and they have really very little to do with the actual um, updating of this room. And so the people are just being very considerate and saying, "Hey, there's a church, and we're gonna do what we can so you guys can have your worship service." And I thought that was very very nice of them, considering um, I don't think they're a Christian, and uh, it was it was a uh, yeah, I really appreciated them. But anyway, we've updated some of the tech, and uh, as time goes by, this room will get a bit refreshed. Last week, Jin Ha started a series uh, from the letters of the book of John, and these are John the Epistles. So if you open your Bibles, there are two sections of uh, books that have the name John. One is the Gospel John, which is the beginning of the Gospel, and then the letters of John are the epistles of, of, of John. Um, and basically, uh, they're shorter letters, and they've got numbers in front of the actual name. And so we're covering the epistles of John. This is part two, which is entitled Walking in the Light. Last week, Jin Ha covered the science of confession, and today we're going to be talking about what it means to walk in the light. Um, I'm curious, how many of you had night lights growing up? Anybody willing to put up their hand? All right. I never had that luxury of having a night light. But uh, when Micah came around, we, we found that Micah really had this adverse reaction to the dark, uh, starting from the age of about two to two and a half. And uh, we would tuck him in at night and say, good night, walk out of the room. And I would hear this click, <laughs> and I'd turn around, and there's like light shining from under the door. And I'd think, ah, just l- leave it on. And I'd go back into his room at about 9.30, and without fail, there he would be laying on the floor next to his bed <laughs> with a light on. I thought... How do you fall asleep with the light on and how do you fall asleep outside of your bed? And I want to say about 95% of the time, Micah would fall asleep next to his bed, not (laughs) on his bed. So we would go carry him, plop him on his bed, and I would turn off the light. Since then, we've probably gone through about four night lights, I want to say. All of them have failed. Um, And oddly, in our search for a, um, (laughs) oddly, in our search for a humidifier, we found the solution to the nightlight problem, and we came across the dun dun dun, the rainbow mist humidifier, and uh, this thing is incredible. Uh, it gives you ten hours of vapor. There's an aromatic diffuser. You can adjust vapor flow, and when you breathe the vapors, it's like you're breathing a rainbow. It's incredible. If you want to know what it's like to breathe a rainbow, <laughs> you gotta get one of these. Um, but it's got it's got um, an LED light where you can choose from seven different colors. And I'm probably selling this pretty hard, but basically, Micah loves this uh, night light slash cool vapor humidifier. 
Now, the themes of light were commonly used in antiquity uh, by other religions and other worldviews. And John uses the same language in the epistles of John for two reasons. One, for the sake of relevance, he's trying to connect with the community outside of his church. The second reason is John is presenting an alternative truth, an alternative life as a means of combating different um, ideas and as a means of showing something that is greater. And so what we're going to be doing is exploring John's argument. And for ourselves, we're going to define light. We're going to talk about discovering light. And in John's epistles, he talks about um, what it means to deter light. And so we're going to talk about those three things. If we have enough time, we'll talk about one more point. But we'll see how we go through those first three. So let's define the light. In the epistles of John, he, John uses a lot of words and a lot of concepts. For example, he uses this phrase, the light of God. He talks about the truth of God, the word of God, the commandments of God, and the love of God. And these concepts are repeated throughout First John, and these concepts are interchangeable. For example, in First John chapter 1, verse 6, he uses the word truth and light, and we can see that those two words are interchangeable. So First John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. So walking in the light is practicing truth. Here's another example. First John chapter 1, verse 7. John is going to use the words light and the concept of love. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So walking in the light is then receiving the love of God and sharing the love of God with one another. So this kind of happens several times, and I'm just going to give a few references. Um, if you're interested, then you can jot down some notes, or you can come later on and check out the slides. Um, you can ask me for the slides later on. So First John chapter 2, verse 4, the ideas of commandments and truth are talked about. First John chapter 2, verse 8, commandments and light are talked about. So these concepts are interchangeable, and we can then form a working definition or an understanding of light from these ideas. So... John's definition of light is that light is a knowledge of God. Light is God's word or his commands. Light is an experience of salvation and forgiveness. Light is love for humanity. And I just want to make a couple observations from this broad definition of light. Walking in the light is a commitment to God. It's a commitment to truth. So when we live out truth, we are living it for God. We are communicating we want God in our lives. Walking in the light is also a commitment to love those who are in light, but it's also a commitment to love those who are in darkness. So here's another couple verses. 1 John chapter 2, verse 11. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. He himself, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of the world. So John injects into light this idea of mercy, reconciliation, and forgiveness. So how we, who are in the light, relate to those who we think 
are in darkness reveals whether or not we are in the light. So I think there's a big challenge here because if we are in light and those are in darkness, then we should then condemn the darkness. But from this working definition, having a willingness to condemn darkness doesn't mean that we are in the light. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, there's a comical story of Jesus restoring sight to a blind man. And Jesus pulls a man from the darkness into the light because he cannot see, and then a miracle happens, and then he can see. But in this story, the people who are in the church or in the synagogue, Jesus says, you guys are in the dark. And then at the end of the story, the man who gets healed gets kicked out of the church. And Jesus says, you are in the light. So from this definition, truth, light, and love cannot be separated. And it's so difficult to balance out commitment to God and love for one another. Because we think commitment to God means we should then hammer everyone who's not committed to God. And yet there's this balance between the two when it comes to the light of God. So we've defined the light. Let's talk about discovering the light. John says that God is light and truth. We discover truth by practicing, or excuse me, we discover light by practicing truth. Now I think there's a, uh, there's a challenge here because I think everybody who makes an initial commitment, God, I'm going to follow your word, I'm going to follow your ways, Everybody recognizes it's actually very difficult to do that because inherently we don't naturally want to follow every single rule and command in the Bible. And so there's this challenge where we are not following the truth. Does that then mean in our disobedience we are in darkness? And what I want to highlight here is that walking in the light does not mean that we are sinless. And notice here, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So think about that for a moment. John is saying, hey, if you're real with yourself, you will recognize that you are not sinless. You are not perfect. So practicing truth does not mean that we're perfect. It means we're committed. It means we're not going to give up. John continues this idea of obedience. First John chapter 2, verse 3. He says, now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. When the word keep is used elsewhere in the Greek, it means more than observance. It implies duration and perseverance. To observe diligently means to guard carefully. In other words, to keep God's word goes far beyond mere conformity to the law it, express, it expresses a zealous desire to believe and follow God's will. There's a man by the name of A.J. Jacobs. I'm curious, anyone familiar with uh, this gentleman or this individual? He's an uh, editor for Esquire magazine, but he's also a professional amateur. And this is, what, this is what I mean by that. He'll pick something, a topic, a trend that interests him, and he'll make a commitment, you know what, I'm just going to try this out to understand this trend. So, for example, he didn't understand the concept of outsourcing. And so he made a decision, I'm going to outsource my life to a team from uh, Bangalore. And so they did everything for him. They answered his phone calls, they replied to his emails, 
um, he even outsourced his arguments with his wife. And so his wife would bring out a topic, they would start arguing, and he would say, hold that thought for just a moment. He would contact his team in Bangalore and said, hey, this is what we're arguing about. And then they would then type out a response in an email and send it to his wife, and then she would have to communicate that way. So A.J. Jacobs is also the author of a book, The Year of Living Biblically. A.J. Jacobs describes himself as a non-practicing Jew. He was born into Judaism, but just never really lived it out in his life. And he thought to himself, there are so many intelligent people that I respect in the religious community. I wonder why they commit themselves to a religion. And so what he did was he read through the whole Bible front to back, and he wrote down every single law that he came across in a document and made a commitment for one year, I'm going to live out as much of this as I possibly can. And he literally tried to live out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules for one year. Now, and then he wrote a book about it. So, for example, he read in Leviticus that you shouldn't cut the corners of your beard. And he was like, well, I don't know what the corners of my beard are. And so he just grew out his beard for a whole year. Then he read, you know what? It's not good to mix your fabrics. You should just basically wear 100% cotton. And so he threw out, he got rid of all of his like mixed shirts, and he basically just wore white robes. And then he read, okay, um, there's a lot of rules regarding your sandals, and so I'm just going to wear sandals. So for one year, he grew out his beard, wore white robes and sandals, and walked around New York City. <laughs> well, one time there was a man in the park, and he came up to him and asked him, why are you dressed like that? So he told him about his exper experiment, and uh, the man said, okay, well, I'm an adulterer, so do you want to stone me? And he's like, oh, that would be great. Can I? I've actually been carrying around this pocket of pebbles, and I've been waiting to use it. As he pulled out the pebbles, the man was in his mid-70s. He was so angry, he snatched the stones from AJ's hands, and he threw it at his face. And AJ kind of thought to himself, well, the Bible says an eye for an eye, so I feel justified in throwing one pebble back at him, which he did. Now, obviously, this sounds like a silly experiment, but when you read AJ's reflections, it's pretty interesting. He actually talks about the benefits of religion in your life. So he talks about practicing gratitude. In Judaism, you're supposed to regularly practice gratitude, and he would literally verbally practice gratitude after every moment of goodness that came across in his life. So he would push the button for the lift, the lift would come down and he would say, ah, oh, thank you, the lift is here. And he said, going through that exercise of saying thank you hundreds of times a day actually changed the way that he thought. It changed his attitude and he realized, you know what, I'm actually becoming a more grateful person even though this exercise is exhausting. <laughs> AJ talked about keeping the Sabbath as a workaholic, having a day of rest was something that transformed his life because it forced him to spend time with his family. It forced him to take a break from the busyness of life, and it just reminded him to rest. <clears throat> AJ also joined a synagogue or a weekly worship, and he said that connecting with the spiritual community made a significant impact in his life. And to this day, he takes his kids to synagogue. And basically he's saying, look, if they want to grow up and they believe in God, great. But if they grow up and then they reject God, that's okay too. But I just want to instill some traditions in their lives. So AJ says before he was an agnostic, but now he's a reverent agnostic. And here's what he says. The basic idea is whether or not there's a God, 
there's something important and beautiful about the idea of sacredness. Now, the most significant change that AJ cites is the idea of acting holy. He says, I couldn't believe how much my behavior changed my thoughts. This was one of the huge lessons of the year, is that I almost pretended to be a better person, and I became a little bit of a better person, so I had always thought, you know, you change your mind and you change your behavior, but it's often the other way around. You change your behavior and you change your mind. In other words, it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. So I want to share the good sides of what AJ said before I criticize his experiment. So here's the critique. AJ follows religion long enough to know that parts of it are good, but not long enough to know, uh, not long enough to encounter God. He practices religion long enough to see that it's good, but not enough to encounter God. AJ also experiments with religion to see what religion can do for him, not what he can do for God. And because of that, he misses out on what it means to actually have a dynamic relationship with God. See, when John writes about following the light, he makes it clear it's not about giving God a chance. It's about giving God your life. So as you keep God's word, you will discover light. The result will be a sense of the presence of God in your life, leading, guiding, protecting, sustaining you. So we've talked about two things. We've talked about defining the light. We've talked about discovering the light. And now there's a section in the passage where John talks about deterring the light. There are things that we can do to block light, to block God. So in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, if you have your white Bibles in front of you, I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles. 1 John is near the end of the Bible, right before Revelation. First John, so this is page 984, page 984, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 15 and 16. First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for the physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. John says that worldliness blocks or deters light. And he lists three things. And I just, I just want to spend a, a thoughtful moment on each of these. When he talks about the desires of the flesh, the Septuagint or the Greek um, version of the Bible uses the word sarks. And it's rarely or actually it's never used in reference to sensuality. Usually when we talk about the desires of the flesh, we kind of um, make it imply uh, we make it seem like it's a sensual thing. That's actually not what John is talking about. When it's used, it's refer. It's used to reference uh, humanity in general, particularly, at, or excuse me, 
Um, the desires of the flesh is basically talking about anything that stands in contrast to God. Anything that stands in contrast to God. So the desires of the flesh is basically saying, I prioritize myself, my wants over God. So that's the first thing that blocks us from light. So John has in mind any desire, any interest, anything that is prioritized in front of God, which makes it impossible to connect and continue in fellowship with him. The, sec- the second thing that John mentions is the desires of the eyes. Sinful visual interests. So in the Bible, there's a couple examples of this. One is the example of Eve. She sees the fruit on the tree. It's a visual thing. She's drawn away by it. Or David, he uh, glances or looks at Bathsheba as she's bathing on the rooftop, and that draws him away. It's a visual temptation. The third thing that John mentions is the pride of life. And the term here for life is uh, bios in the Greek, and it's described to... uh, basically explain or or describe the basic stuff of living. So John has in mind here an attitude of pretentious arrogance or subtle elitism that comes from one's view of wealth, rank, or stature in society. It's an overconfidence that makes us lose any notion that we're dependent on God. It also skews how we see others. Now what I think is interesting about this is that in many other parts of the Bible, writers list specific sins. They're kind of like, don't gossip, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't be malicious. And they list specific things. And in the epistle of John, he refrains from listing specific things. And I think that's really interesting. He doesn't say, don't be drawn away by the desire of owning a house or owning a Rolex or owning a Ferrari. And I think a lot of times it's easy to pinpoint things and say, these things are bad. And John doesn't do that. He actually comes up with a really good, broad definition of um, sin. And basically, he he leaves it to the person to personalize their own vice. As they look at these three broad concepts of what it means to be blocked from light, he leaves the Holy Spirit room to then convict and say, what is it that's blocking you from God? When I think of this concept, I think of um, a lunar eclipse. And this diagram might be a little bit confusing because uh, the solar eclipse is mentioned and then the lunar eclipse is mentioned. Just kind of focus on this. So here we are, planet Earth. And every now and then there's a moment where the moon basically loses its lumination. And um, I'm sure everybody already knows this. The moon doesn't have any inherent light. It's just a reflector of light. And so the sun shines, it reflects off of the moon, and as we look up into the sky, we can see the moon shining because of what the sun does. But every now and then what happens is the earth gets in the way of the sun shining on the moon, and for those of us who are kind of living here at night, we can see that the moon then becomes darkened. And it's only as the earth kind of moves out of the way that light can then shine again. And I think this is a great metaphor for how truth and light works with us. See, we do not have any inherent light in, a, our, in ourselves, but God is the source of light. We are just reflectors of his light. And as the world moves out of the way from our lives, we then become more effective at, at reflecting and shining the light of God. 
and experiencing the light of God. How am I doing on time? Okay. One last point. We've talked about defining the light, discovering the light, deterring the light, and finally I want to share about the dependability of the light. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 26 to 28, John highlights the dependability of the light. And he talks about light in the context of the end of time. And I think this is probably one of the most important um, principles of this chapter. I think there are so many times where we can find, uh, I find myself being anxious about the future. What does the future hold? What does my future hold? What's going to happen right before God comes again? First John chapter 2, verses 26 to 28. And here's, what the scripture, or here's how the scripture reads. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. So there are two kinds of uncertainty that John highlights here. The first uncertainty is the uncertainty of deception. And for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, there's actually good portions of the Bible that talk about, hey, don't listen to false teachers, don't get caught up into false ideologies, don't get caught up by, um, yeah, false teachings. And so there's this uncertainty that deception brings. And what John says is, if you walk in the light, you will be aided by the presence of the Spirit. And that's, race, that's basically what the text says. The Spirit is a guide. He's a personal God who then lets you know this is right, this is the right way, walk in it. As opposed to, that's the wrong way, avoid that. I think this is one of the most challenging concepts in the Bible because usually when we talk about God, when we talk about truths, it's usually in the form of principle, right? Don't lie, do good, keep the Ten Commandments. There are a lot of truths that are principle-based, But what John does is he says, look, truth and light is not just a principle, it's personal. God then makes himself known in a very real and tangible way as God. In other words, there should be moments where we sense God leading, guiding, directing us. And the reason why I think this is is challenging is because as Christians, we all know there's right and wrong. But it's very unique to be able to say, I know God. And there's a difference. But there's this guarantee, as you walk in the light, you will be aware of the presence of God. And I think the reason why this is challenging is because there are many times where we experience things in our lives where God does not come through. Hey, God, please heal my dying family member, and then the family member dies. God, I need help with this area in my life, and then nothing happens. So then how do you then say, okay, God is personal, he is a guide, he is a protector, he is a leader in my life, when it doesn't feel like he is leading? I think there are a couple things that come to my mind. Sometimes 
we want God to accept our darkness. Rather than walking in the light, we walk in darkness and we want God to sanctify our darkness. And when he doesn't, then we get upset. Hey God, I wanted you to do this for me. And when my expectations were not met, then I blame you. See, the presence of God is supposed to guide us into right doing and living in the light as opposed to wrongdoing and living in the darkness. Another reason why there's a bit of mystery is sometimes God's plan is only understood in retrospect. We just don't know what we're supposed to be doing right now, but as we live out truth and we look back over the years, we see God leading. Sometimes we just don't know. Um, a couple weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, uh, Jinha and I received a phone call uh, from the U.S., and there's this church called Pioneer Memorial Church. It's like a 3,000-member church, and uh, they've got a staff of about eight pastors, and two of the pastors are moving on. And they said, hey, Roy and Jinha, um, we've got two slots open here in Michigan. Would you like to come pastor our church? And we thought, oh, Michigan. You know, it's really cold there, but the Adventist school is there. We could do further education. The kids would grow up in a really good, safe Christian environment. We thought, should we go there? And our initial thought was, you know what? We actually really like Melbourne. <laughs> we really like the church that we're at. And we thought, well, let, let's, let's pray about this decision. And so we prayed about it. God, what should we do? And, you know, we probably prayed for about a week, a week and a bit. We talked to our family members. We talked to some of you. And... You know, one morning, Jin Ha and I kind of looked at each other and we thought, what, what do we want to do? Like, in our hearts, what do we think we should do? And we looked at each other and we thought, you know, God definitely opened a door for us to be here and to start a church in Melbourne. And I said, you know, we haven't finished the work that we've set out to do. Like, this is what God wants us to do. And until we've accomplished that, I don't think we should move on from it. And... um yeah, and so we made that decision, we sent the email, and we just very much felt at peace. Now, that could have been the chance of a lifetime, pastoring a 3,000-member church. We've made it. Woohoo! We're, we're, we're in a mega church. And, and there was kind of this sense of, should we? And to be honest, like, I'm not sure. It's one of those things where, in retrospect, we'll be able to turn around and say, yeah, this was the right decision. All we know is that, we're committing ourselves to this church. We love being here. We love you guys. And so we're committed here. There are also other times where God makes it very clear, I want you to do this. And there are senses of strong conviction. There are senses of strong, clear direction. And you just know that God is a guide. Yes, there are times where it's challenging to work through understanding the presence of God, but it is an incredible promise. I would like to, I encourage and challenge you, as you seek and search the light, there is an assurance of the presence of God. Look for it, commit yourself to it, you will find God. In the second part of this, the second uncertainty in this um, passage, it talks about the uncertainty of what judgment brings. Seek and live the light now, that when Jesus comes again, we are not ashamed of his return. I think the best way to work through the anxiety of the future is to work through the challenge of today. Focusing on your walk with God today will give you assurance of the uncertainty of tomorrow. I have this really bad habit about worrying about the future, about uh, looking at everything that I don't have 
and worrying about all the things that I might fail at as opposed to focusing on the task at hand. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are times where I lose my keys. Actually, I lose my keys a lot. And uh, generally, it's in my backpack, and uh, I've got a fairly big backpack. And when I'm under the pump and I'm in a rush, I usually kind of flip the backpack upside down and drop all the contents. And what I catch myself doing all the time is I move my hands, but my eyes are looking in other areas where my hand is not. And so basically, it looks like I'm kind of, where's my keys, where's my keys? And the reason why it's silly is because I'm looking for my, I'm, I'm moving stuff with my hands, but I'm not actually looking at what my hands are doing. And the idea is, well, if you just stop for a moment and then just methodically work through all the piles of rubbish that are in your backpack, you'll find what you're looking for. I like watching uh, post-news conferences of uh, sporting events especially when it comes to the championships, whether it's championship racing, Formula One, or whether it's like basketball or, or football or whatever it may be. And every time when the reporters interview champions, they ask them, so are you worried about the champion? And every single time the champion says, I'm not worried about the championship, I'm just worried about this game. I'm not worried about the championship, I'm just worried about this race. And it's so interesting People who are professionals in their field know just focus on the task at hand and the outcome will happen. And this is exactly what God is saying. You might be worried about salvation in the long run, but just focus on following Jesus today. You might be worried about what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. Will I make it into heaven? And John is saying, just worry about following the light today. You'll get there. And it's, supposed to, it's, it's designed to give assurance because it takes our mind off of uncertainty and it puts it on that which is certain. So as you discover light, may it give you that sense of dependability and confidence. May the dependability of light give you confidence. And in that process, may you let go of that which deters light. May God bless you as you think about his word today.